Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Let's first exhale all the anxieties and the worries, and we'll inhale, and we'll read from the devotional. Okay, let's exhale. Let's lay down all the thoughts, all the concerns, every harassing thought, every repeated thought, ruminating thought that gets in the way of this moment with him. And let's inhale right now the breath of God. And I'll be reading from October 29th, Jesus Calling. Linger in my presence a while. Rain in your impulses to plunge into the day's activities. Beginning your day alone with me is essential preparation for success. A great athlete takes time to prepare himself mentally for the feat ahead of him before he moves a muscle. Similarly, your time of being still in my presence equips you for the day ahead of you. Only I know what will happen to you this day. I have arranged events you will encounter as you go along your way. If you are not adequately equipped for the journey, you will grow weary and lose heart. Relax with me while I ready you for action. Amen. Please be seated. So today I'm going to talk about moving or practicing anxiety to learning to breathe again. So let's put this picture up here. A few years ago, we went to Hawaii. Uh, Our friend was doing his Sabbath uh, for about six months. And it was really beautiful to take in all the beauty, the scenery and the coastal views of Hawaii are breathtaking. They're stunning in many ways. And so uh, I think Nathan and Josh here were about seven and Josh I think was about three years old or something like that. And uh, Nathan said, Dad, could we go snorkeling? And, uh, and I was like, sure, you know. Uh, snorkeling is really a, a breathtaking event in Hawaii because you, even at the lagoons, which is man-made beaches, very safe, no riptide, uh, nothing can kill you in the riptide. I mean, it could kill you, but the lagoons are very safe, so you could wash um, and the exotic fish in Hawaii. So... Uh, Nathan and I went snorkeling, but put this next slide up. If you ever try to not scuba dive, that's like a different level. But uh, snorkeling is you have to learn to breathe in a different way when you snorkel. Because you have to learn to breathe through your mouth. Because the best for your uh, lung health is actually to breathe through your nose naturally. But in the oceanic environment, you have to learn to breathe in a different way. You have to learn to breathe through your mouth. And Nathan was actually having a hard time in the beginning because it it felt scary. 
And if you actually breathe through your nose underwater, condensation will blind your vision and blur the goggles. So it'll shortcut the very goal of seeing, you know, the beautiful wildlife under the water. So I said, Nathan, you have to learn to breathe through your mouth. He goes, how do you do that? You have to learn to breathe again. Tell someone next to you, you have to learn to breathe again. You have to learn to breathe again. And in many ways, prayer, the discipline of prayer is learning to breathe again. You have to learn a new muscle because prayer is a practice in a different environment than the material. It's the immaterial. But if you want to see the beautiful vision of the, of the Visio Day, the vision of God for your life, and especially in the midst of precarious storms, if you learn to breathe again, something could center us and calm us in the midst of the storms of our lives. So today, that's what I want to talk about, looking at this passage. That's what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples, how to breathe again. Because a lot of people don't realize that anxiety is also a form of breathing, also a form of a maladaptive habit. So let's go to this text, and I'm going to show you and highlight for you how we could learn to breathe again and breathe in the presence of God. Amen? So <clears throat> as we look at Mark 4, verse 37 to 40, a furious squall came up. And that, that means that there are periodically in the midst of the storm, um, the disciples were ex expert fishermen. They were used to the terrain of water. They knew the danger. That's why there were many boats there with Jesus. But a squall means that it, it w it's out of a sudden. It's, there's turbulence. Like when you're on, in the airplane and there's major turbulence and the pilot is trying to calm you down, you're just like death, death death. The left side of your brain, the middle side of your brain, the amygdala is just saying, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. And the left side of the brain is trying to calm you down, the critical side. But here, the disciples, at this moment of turbulence, really freaked out. And so it says that the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly what? Capsized. It was swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, of course. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and was completely calm. And then Jesus said in verse 40 to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, catch this part. 
why is Jesus rebuking in a very stern way to the disciples for being freaked out when they almost died or they felt like they were almost going to die? Why is Jesus saying to the 12 that they actually practiced? Say to someone next to you, practice. They didn't practice any faith. It was an absence of faith. There was a negation of faith. Jesus was rebuking the disciples for a natural instinct of fear. Because how many people here worry every day? Raise your hand if you, if you worry. If you worry double, raise both of your hands. Triple worry, raise your head up. I mean, we're drowned in worry, right? Anxiety might be involuntary, but catastrophizing. Tell someone next to you, catastrophizing. I know a lot of people here that catastrophize, including myself. That's a habit, a bad maladaptive habit. Catastrophizing, catastrophic thinking is different from anxiety. Anxiety is a reactionary thing, involuntary reaction to the precarious nature of the external environment. That's natural. Jesus is not addressing anxiety. He's addressing catastrophizing. A lot of times, the way we cope with anxiety in the spiritual life says a lot about how much the Holy Spirit is actually working in our life. Because to a lot of people, this is just going to be our permanent state. We're always going to be worried and, and fearful and freak out every time a storm comes in our life. And the question we say to God, like the disciples, is do you care if we drown God? Like the Israelites coming in Exodus, you just brought us out here to die in the desert. We should just go back to Egypt. This absence of faith, the no practice of faith. Put this picture up here. Sometimes anxiety is not just paralysis. Anxiety is also, in many ways, aggression too. Chuck E. Cheese, for my personal life, is an altar of this reminder. If you have children, Chuck E. Cheese is the best place for birthdays for adults. Forget the children. It's the games, all about the games and the fries and the wings. The pizza it needs help. They need to pray over the pizza more. But, but the wings and the fries, good. The games, very good. I remember uh, that even before Josh, at Nathan's birthday, one time, I encountered a moment. I, rem I was reminded at uh, Tilly's birthday yesterday, the traumatic experience at a Chuck E. Cheese. Everybody came to me and said, oh, you were very calm today. Very funny, <laughs> if you know the incident. So me and Nathan were playing basketball, and you know I'm the best, right? I'm serious. And Dave and Buster's... In, in Westchester, Palisades Parkway, I still have the record. I beat Peeps for that record. Ad Nyack, I had the grand prize. Remember that, Peeps? I busted you up. No, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, not kidding, I really did. Okay, I won the prize. <laughs> but um, we were playing basketball, and we were waiting in line, and this dude, idiot, and he and his brother kept playing and didn't want to let other people play. And you know, I'm like, what, 32, 
I'm 43 now. I'm more mature now, but, you know, I had a little more muscle, younger. And I said to the guy, I said, I said, bro, get off the court. Kids, my kid is waiting to play. And he looked at me and said, why don't you make me? <laughs> Guys, I'm from Inwood. I still have my gangster proclivities, right? I told you about this. And when someone steps to me, my involuntary reaction is <clears throat> not back down. I'm not talking about paralysis. I'm talking about critical thinking and taking the bluff. So I went up to his face and said, so what are you going to do now? And so he, then he started, you know, Acting like, I mean, he was like 5'5", five, five, you know, <laughs> putting his hand up. And now his boys, ca his home boys came out. And then Johan now is running because he wants to beat up people. Because, you know, Johan, he's one of those guys that's just waiting to practice jujitsu. <laughs> like, he's at his, the subways just for APPI hate. He's like, pick on me, please, please. I'll throw you to the other side. And now we basically have 12 guys about to fight. And I was like, guys, relax. I could take this 5'5 five, five guy, right? And, and now, <laughs> and then Joe's like, thank God he doesn't know you're a pastor, right? I mean, now this, all this tension is taking place. But sometimes anxiety and the way we coped with it, even stress and anxiety, is I don't, I'm not trusting in God's justice or God's time or even the idea of fairness. I'm not trusting in his time, I'm shortcutting it because I believe that I need justice now. I, want, I don't want my son learning bullying now. I want him to learn to stand up for himself. But it leads to this conflict, escalation. And so whatever how stress and anxiety manifests in your life, here's the first lesson we learn from the passage. First, learn that if we want to learn to stop practicing anxiety, because it is a practice, and learn to breathe again and invite the presence of God into our lives, we have to recognize while what? Read it with me. Some anxiety is involuntary. What? Catastrophic thinking is a learned practice. You don't simply feel paralysis or aggression, you give into it. We give into the catastrophic worst case scenarios. And then we start adding the cumulative worst case scenarios of our lives in those seconds. And that's why they're called automatic thoughts in many ways. CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, what it says tries to reframe those ways. So if you don't know that anxiety is a, a form of practice and, and, and catastrophic thinking and catastrophizing is a practice, then you think that's natural. It's inherent to me. This is how I am, you say. It's not true. It's learned practice. That's why Jesus rebuked them. Because didn't, they didn't say, Jesus, can you please help? We're afraid. Say, Jesus, it's getting pretty bad out there. They said, Jesus, don't you care if we die? Very different. Anxiety is involuntary, but 
catastrophic thinking is not. It's a maladaptive form of coping and how to deal with anxiety. So what's your way of dealing with stress and anxiety? Is it aggression where you fight or is it flight? How does it manifest? How does catastrophic thinking dictate the sovereignty of your space in your life and mine? Because spiritual maturity, Jesus is showing us here, that there is a point A to point B. We, there's a starting point of struggling and then growing to have confidence in God's promises, God's presence in the midst of a storm. And that degree of how we feel in those moments kind of shows us where we are in our spiritual maturity. That the fruit of the Spirit is not manifesting, right? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and what? Peace. Timothy tells us that God has not given us a, a spirit of fear, but of what? Power and a what? And a sound mind. Tell someone next to you a sound mind. People who struggle with anxiety disorder in the central nervous system of the amygdala, right in the middle side of the brain, it becomes plastered with fear. And people deal with it in d different ways. You can do counseling and all this. But... It's a form of a practice, and it, what, it plasters into our habits, and this is the way we are trained to default and react. And that's what this text is teaching us, that faith is a practice, but so is anxiety. So this is the question I want you to think about this week and talk about it in small groups. What are the maladaptive ways you cope with stress and anxiety? What does it look like? For this generation, millennials, Gen Z, they smoked so much weed, in the last 20 years, they had to legalize it. <laughs> because we can't prosecute everybody who smokes weed anymore. Because then we would have no country, right? But the side effects of coping with stress and anxiety, smoking marijuana, also has medical side effects. People are talking about major panic attacks as a result. And you don't know when they come as a result. There's a correlation there. So it might solve one problem for a moment, or drinking. I don't know who, but some of you maybe. The vices, the coping ways of dealing with stress and anxiety. You think you solve the problem, but then later on, it's even worse. Because it, it brings relief, but not change. So I pray the Spirit of God will help you see and help us see this text, how anxiety and how we cope with this catastrophic way of adapting and coping is a learned practice, and we can unlearn it as well. So let's move down. So that's the first thing, right? It's a learned practice. So when we go back to the text, a, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. We know that it was dangerous and Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was what? Completely calm. 
And then the disciple says, who is this who can control the wind and the waves? They were terrified, it says in the passage. Dallas Willard, one of the giants of the faith, written many Christian classics like The Divine Conspiracy, The Renovation of the Heart, asked a mentee of his one time, how would you describe Jesus with one word? And Bill said, I don't know, loving, compassionate, courageous. And he looked at Dallas and said, what do you think, Dallas? And Dallas leaned back, reclined in the University of California at his chair, professor of philosophy, and said, looking at him with piercing eyes, relaxed. Tell someone next to you, relaxed. And Bill was like, Bill Gertier was like, relaxed? That's so sacrilegious. Jesus was relaxed. Yeah, he thought about it. And because Dallas Willard is a giant in the faith, he read read the scriptures again, and then he saw it. And every stressful, anxious moment, like this text, Jesus is sleeping <laughs> at the most center place. And he chose it because that's the place where it, you, you don't feel the vibrations, the stern. And, he, and he, had, he had the audacity to use a pillow while people were freaking out. Jesus is relaxed in the midst of a storm. The Pharisees attack him. Jesus is relaxed, bends down. When they're trying to trap him with the women caught in adultery, he's writing in the ground. He's relaxed. Jesus is relaxed in the storm when he's being persecuted, when he's being even executed to a certain point because he has complete confidence. And not in his environment, not himself, but what? His father. His attachment to the father was so powerful that it gave him peace. The fruit of the spirit was manifesting out of Jesus' life. And you go, well, well, Doc, he's Jesus. The dude is Jesus. He's God. Of course he's relaxed. If I was God, I'd be relaxed too. Right, if you had all the rings like Thanos, I'd be relaxed. But theologically speaking, we know that Jesus put aside his divinity. Tell someone next to you, through kenosis. That's right, kenosis. Kenosis means that Jesus was God ontologically, theologically speaking, and he will always be the second person of the community, the eternal community, ever flowing with the fountain of love, but he put that aside, Philippians 2 says. Kenosis, he put aside his divinity, completely did not tap into his divinity once. Everything that he learned in spiritual formation, in his interior spiritual life, he learned through the spirit. Which means that is an end goal in the Christian life. We can also learn dependency on the spirit and produce the fruit of the spirit, which is peace. That's why he was relaxed. Well, I'm not sure about you, but I'm not usually relaxed a lot of times. You're not relaxed either. You're always worrying. So just this past week, I was reminded of this. Put this picture up here. We had a clergy appreciation dinner. 
by the hospitality team. The hospitality team, thank you. Debbie, celebrity chef. I felt like a, yeah, give her a hand. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt like a celebrity when they brought out the caviar with duck fat. It, it looked like, I don't know, potato, duck fat, cat, I don't know what it is, but it was delicious. I had three. But right before the dinner, I was not relaxed because I had an impediment. I'm in probably faces every day. I was looking for parking in Brooklyn. <laughs> looking for parking in Brooklyn, in his area, like the neighborhood parking, is very stressful. It started catastrophizing to my wife. And I'm like, we looked for 10 minutes. And I was like, we're never gonna find parking. We're never gonna get to this dinner and they're waiting for us now. This is your fault. You should have prepared better for us to be here earlier. I'm blaming her now, I'm upset. Because I'm driving, I'm going round and round and round and you know one of the things I dislike most is inefficiency. This is annoying for me. Inefficiency is annoying for me. And I told her, after 20 minutes, we're going to go to a garage. She goes, there's no garages around here. I'm like, I'm going to look at the best parking app. She goes, you need to relax. I am relaxed. I, parked the I stopped the car. I looked for the best parking app. She goes, do you, want me to, do you want me to drive? And she says to me, you know, Sam, you need to learn to regulate better. Some psychological bum when I'm going through looking for parking is not wise. She goes, you need to really learn to regulate your emotions during traffic and when you're looking for parking. Parking, because then you can become a saint. I'm like, oh my goodness. The sarcasm here. This is no temp time for banter. This is not romantic at all. Right? I mean, and I'm freaking out and then I'm like, all right, you try it. I say, she goes, fine. She takes the wheel, 30 seconds, she finds a parking spot. <laughs> I'm like, this is not fair, God. She goes, see, you just need to relax. Then you can become a saint like me. <laughs> but that's a picture of the journey all of us are on, uh, we're all human, we're all gonna f have freakouts, we're gonna catastrophize. This is daily practice for many of us. But we do need people in our lives that are relaxed, that are connected to the spirit. Because the disciples were the, with the other knuckleheads that were also freaking out. If you have friends that just freak out, you, go, oh, you tell them what happened, they go, oh my God, you're going to die, it's over for you. You need to leave New York. You're never going to find another job. You know how bad it's out there? You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you need someone else like Jesus, a model that measures this peace. You, it can't just be peer-to-peer, -peer, right? Spiritual formation doesn't happen in that system. It's three-dimensional. You need someone ahead of you. You need someone that's similar to you, which are small groups. But you need someone else that could bring that peace or, or model that peace. Because sometimes you'll switch in different situations. Because my wife and I switch too. At times. She's not always the saint, okay? Everybody's like, think that's true. That's not. It's not. But well, that's, that's the way. And, and 
you know, I, I sense with, with spiritually mature believers, I sense like with Leighton, I was just with Leighton two weeks ago. Put this picture up here. He, the way he is, he is so relaxed. It's like he's floating on air sometimes. It's like he's not stressed. I mean, you got to be relaxed to write two books about dogs. He has two books about dogs. That dog right there before Buddy. And um, he's like St. Francis of Assisi. He just loves animals, always talking about poetry, always talking about the beauty of God. I'm like, stop it, Leighton. But he's relaxed. Why? Because he's connected to the spirit. And, and I'm reminded that mature believers are relaxed because they have the presence of God. They're connected. Sometimes that's disrupted, but they have the presence of God. And so this is what Dallas Willard's disciple said in his book. Let's look at this quote. He said, Jesus shows us that even in crisis or pain, a mature person who is attuned to and aligned with God's presence could be calm, joyful, and what? Loving. Bill Goldtier says, when we're connected to God, we can be calm, joyful, and loving, relaxed. Tell someone next to you, relaxed. Relaxed. I mean, how many spouses here would be happy if your spouse was relaxed during traffic? Or relaxed when you're trying to put the kids to sleep? Or relaxed, whatever stresses you out? And, and here's the thing. I think that in the church, a lot of times we believe that this is an illusion. We believe that this is a cliche. We believe that this is not really attainable. We believe that a stressed out life is life. And spiritual transcending peace that Paul talks about, it's kind of like an esoteric kind of, you know, language, spiritual cliche, perfunctory kind of things we say at church, but we don't actually believe that practice. That's actually possible. But this text says, in the model of Jesus, the second lesson we learned from this text, how we can stop practicing anxiety, move from practicing anxiety to learning to breathe again, learning to breathe in the presence of God. And this is this, to recognize what? Read it with me, the promise of what? Transcending peace from Philippians 4, that when we supplicate our anxieties to him, that he will give us a transcending peace above our circumstances, a garrison to protect our heart regardless of our circumstances. The promise of a transcending peace is not just a spiritual, spiritual cliche, but in an actual destination. This is how we measure spiritual maturity in the church and in communities. How relaxed we are, like Jesus, like Dallas Willard, like Leighton. That's the movement in which spiritual formation is moving. It is not a cliche. Just because we don't have models of that 
doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And so if we don't have models, we need to find the models. And we need to be discipled into wholeness and discipled into that destination and find that confidence that brings peace. Because the Bible says that God, the Spirit of God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Without a sound mind, there's no way you can invest in your own potential or self-care. Amen? So as we close today, I'm reminded of the moment me and Nathan actually went snorkeling in Hawaii when Nathan learned to breathe again. Put this picture up there. I gave a cartoon. Because when he learned to breathe again through his mouth and not his nose, he could see the fish. We were under the water. And, of course, it's kind of shallow, six feet under, you know, snorkeling, not scuba diving. But we could see Nemo and Dory. We could see the fish swimming around. And we saw the oceanic beauty of Hawaii. And as father and son, spent a moment that we will remember forever in eternity. Because to, to witness the beauty of God together because he learned to breathe again. And in many ways, prayer is that picture. We're learning to breathe with God. We're learning the rhythm of grace. And if we learn to breathe with our mouth like snorkeling or scuba diving, and you don't breathe through your nose, there's no condensation. Your vision is not blurred and you begin to see the wonders of God's vision and God's beauty and God's creation and the potential. Don't you want that? Don't you want to experience a transcending peace that can give you a vision of what God sees for your life and my life? Well, that is possible. But it's not just a vision it's a practice. Anxiety is a practice, but peace is a practice. And you could start today to learn to breathe again. That's what this text is teaching us. To breathe out the anxiety and toxicities of our life and breathe in the presence of God. Let's stand and pray together. So today, for every worry you have, raise your hands. Not today like this, but like this. Raise your hands. All the worries you have today. Financial strains in relationship, your, the stock market, the, your retirement, whatever it is, jobs, And I want you to pray. Say, God, I want to learn to breathe again. I want to learn to breathe through my mouth and not panic through my nose. I want to be lifted up my circumstances. And I want to see, Father, what you see for my life, for the world. Father, I want to see when I breathe in your presence the oceanic wholeness of my life 
and the beauty of your creation and all that you are doing in me and through me. This is the air. Let's make this our prayer right now. Father, we come before you this afternoon. Thank you for teaching us that that negative coping mechanisms are learned behavior. It's what we do. It's what we choose to do. And ultimately, in the long run, these maladaptive ways of coping are going to hurt us and hurt others around us. Implosion is near.
But Jesus tells us here that prayer and faith is also practice. There's no one that just has confidence in God's promises and God's presence inherently. And this is good news for a lot of you because if there's one thing about many of you here is that you're competent. Tell someone next to you, you're pretty competent. Tell someone you're competent. <laughs> Some of the spouses are like, you sure I should say this? No, you're competent. You're, you're, you're pretty intelligent. The problem, again, is confidence. You know how to practice things and, and mastery. Well, now there's no excuses when it comes to faith. Faith is a practice. When you share your fears with your peers, like the disciples did, you begin to practice faith because it opens up space for God to come in. And it exhales those isolated fears. And we're learning to breathe and see differently as we invite the presence of God. So if you're already practicing, let's practice peace. Let's practice faith. Let's practice prayer. And how do you do that? By choosing it. The greatest spiritual muscle is autonomy. Because if you want to pray, you have to choose to pray. If you want to go to church, you got to choose to go to church. If you want to go to small group, you got to choose to go to small group. And as you surrender, as you give in to the Father, those muscles, that practice begins to become habit, and that habit becomes character. And ultimately, you be like Jesus. Everybody's freaking out, and you're like, what's up? Wouldn't that be cool? Imagine yourself that way. Let's bow our heads for the benediction. Be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am. Be still and know. Be still. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.